2: Come.
3: The World Economic Forum says that by 2030 we will own nothing and be happy. So how close have they pushed us towards that goal? Carol Roth just wrote a book on it called You Will Own Nothing. She's of course a New York Times best-selling author. We've talked to her about her last book The War on Small Business. She joins us to break it all down. Stay tuned for Carol. Well, Carol, it's so good to have you on, Uh, you know, love your work, consider you a friend. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation about your new book.
4: I'm thrilled to be back with you, Lisa. We always have such a fun time when we chat and the subject matter is so important. So I'm thrilled that uh, that you're giving your listeners an early sneak peek as to what's ahead. And you're already
3: crushing it. You're already an Amazon bestseller and the book is not even out yet. So that's pretty awesome.
4: For three months ahead of time, it's pretty unprecedented that the, the topic is really resonating with people as it should, um, but obviously just thrilled with the response and you know the ability to be able to help people fight back.
3: Well, I'm so happy for you because that's awesome to, to already be doing so well and it's not even out. I love the title, You Will Owe Nothing. Of course, the title from the book comes from the World Economic Forum, which says, that by 2030 we will owe nothing and be happy. They're nailing the owe nothing, but not not quite the, the be happy part.
4: Yeah, it's crazy. When I first heard that you know this organization, the World Economic Forum, which is littered with the elite of uh, business leaders, political leaders, very well connected people, were somehow saying you will own nothing and, and advocating basically for the end of private property. I was like, there's no way that that's actually true. That's gotta be like somebody taking something out of context. You know, there, there's just, there's no way. So obviously I did my own research and, you know, there it was, um, you know, several years ago, there was an article on their website, which by the way, has been scrubbed since, but you can still find it with the Wayback machine that had their predictions, their top predictions for 2030 with the number 1 being you will own nothing and be happy. And then a couple of years later, they did a video, which I think is still on their Twitter but definitely you can find on on YouTube, that recounted these predictions and you have this, you know, very handsome young man just smiling and you will own nothing and be happy by 2030, which is 7 years from now. And I'm like, that is a complete insanity. And so it's always one of those things that stuck with me in the back of my mind. And as I've been talking to people and thinking about the wealth of issues from you know, social credit or business social credit, which we know as ESG, uh, to the Fed destroying the value of a dollar to all of the issues we've been facing financially based on government decisions, whether it's, you know, energy or stimulus that, that led to it, um, whether it's big tech basically renting everything to us as a service. And we actually you know aren't getting anything, but they're getting wealthy, whether it's millennials earning more than all of their, um, the folks that have come before them on an inflation-adjusted basis, I mean, they, they actually earn more than baby boomers or Gen X at the same time, inflation-adjusted, but they have no housing and they have no wealth. We've got corporations competing with people for housing. We have hedge funds and universities, uh, endowments, buying up land and water rights. You know, I'm thinking about all of these things and I'm going, what's the through line here? Like, there's something going on. And I stepped out of my bed one day in, in April of last year, and I walked two paces, and it just hit me on the head. You will owe nothing. Like That's where this is all coming from. And in my research, you know, I, I realized that we are on this precipice of a new financial world order. This is not something, again, that's conspiratorial. It happens on a regular basis. We've only been the global center of the financial universe for about 80 years. It was the British before us and the Dutch before them. And that, you know, our our run here is getting a little long in the tooth. And it's clear that all of the people who are well-connected, whether it be the folks in our government, the WEF, you know, big tech, whoever, they're, they're all seeing this. And so they're trying to jockey to control every resource they can as this global financial world order shifts. And in the process, if they own everything, what's left for you Nothing. So they have to sell it to you that it's going to be a great thing. But uh, if you are a student of history, even in the least... You know that every uh, time people had no property rights and had no ownership, they were not only not wealthy, they were not free, and they certainly, I'm guessing, were not happy.
3: That's why they want us to own nothing, right? I mean, it it puts them in control and it it leaves us, you know, essentially defenseless and independent.
4: 100 percent. That's exactly it. they, They only care about what's in it for them, which is human nature, uh, which is why we had this really cool setup in the United States based on a constitutional republic to try to thwart that from happening, which you know worked for some bit of time and then has started to unravel. But yeah, the more that they can hold and and control, Um, the better off it is for them. They get to be special and you get to be non-special kind of sounds like essential and non-essential. When did, when did we hear that in in recent history? Um, And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good thing for them and they kind of don't care about what it means for anybody else. So certainly um, that's the trajectory. And it does make us more dependent on them as you alluded to, which gives them the ability to, uh, exert more power and more control, and make sure that that balance of you know them having stuff and being special, and us being the plebs, you know, continues on.
3: Well, and it seems like COVID just really gave them ample opportunity to sort of accelerate this goal of us owning nothing. One and just the government assuming more power over us, and then you wrote about it, but the crushing of small businesses and the centralization of everything.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was the greatest most historic wealth transfer of all time greatest meaning the largest not greatest meaning a good thing um that you know that it ever happened in history you know, trillions and trillions of dollars that were just you know moved from main street america to wall street um and uh obviously we're still paying the price quite literally when you have things like inflation you know that the 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 people who are in the working and the middle class really bear the brunt of that. So um, it, I, you know, it's a question of whether it sort of gave them cover to do that, or if it was all intentional. Which I think you can make a, a good argument that this was a piece of the overall "you will own nothing" plan. But it also did other things. You know, it did things like um, cement social credit. When you think of a vaccination card, you know, that's an early form factor of a social credit card. You could not participate in parts of society in certain places if you did not have a card that said, you know, I'm socially acceptable. So there were a lot of things that kind of started, they had people who were cheerleading and backing the government and not pushing back. And so it really did signal to the elite, wow, this is probably going to be easier than we thought. And when you think about, you know, new efforts that they're putting out, things like the potential for a central bank digital currency, also known as a CBDC, um, a way to marry that social credit and gain control over your money, you know, this kind of gave them the confidence that, hey, we can do this. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, Lisa, but when I was in February 2020 and March of 2020 and seeing this COVID stuff going on, going, could they really get people to like close their businesses and stay home at scale? Like, I don't think that's going to happen. And of course, that's exactly what happened. So now that we've been through that period, things that, you know, five or 10 years ago, we would have said, yeah, that's probably not going to happen or it would take a really long time. I think we need to look at through a totally different lens.
3: Well, I think what scared me the most about COVID uh, is just how easily people are manipulated. You look at things that have happened throughout history and you're like, oh, how would people go along with you know terrible things? And during COVID, we you, you really saw like, wow, you know, you have like friends, you know, fam- people kind of turning their backs on you for, for making decisions uh, in opposition to the ones they were making. And you kind of paints a picture of, okay, we, we could easily, you could kind of see how these things spiral uh, and how easily people were actually willing to to give up control over their own lives.
4: And people that you thought were in your circle, our mutual friend Jesse Kelly talks about this all the time. How you know your aunt Peggy, who you know was all in on the vaccine, is like the first person to rat you out if you know, you weren't following along with the orders. And so it does give us that perspective. Um, You know, I don't use comparisons to the Holocaust or Nazi Germany lightly, but, you know, when you just look at a time frame and how quickly that particular society devolved and how they got people, um, whether it was for self-preservation or to just be aligned with right think, you know, were turning on each other and creating that catalyst. You can say, well, seven years from now, 2030 isn't a very long time. But in the scope of what we've just been through or some of these other historical situations that turn very quickly, it's actually a really long time. I mean, that COVID thing was just three years ago. So, you know, think about that's, you know, two plus, you know, the amount of time from now than it was backwards to the start of, of COVID.
3: It's also just scary seeing how quickly our society has fallen in such short order uh, and under the leadership we currently have. You know, you talked about the central bank digital currency. I know you've written it. You wrote about this in the book as as well. Talk about what it is and, and why people should be concerned about it.
4: So the interesting thing about central bank digital currency is that they are using the interest in cryptocurrency, which is a pushback against centralization, to conflate what a digital currency is, to confuse people, and I believe to ultimately introduce it, cryptocurrency was, and particularly something like Bitcoin, was created because people did not have faith, as they shouldn't, in central banks, including the Fed, to you know basically stand up and and take their fiduciary duty to manage. the the purchasing power of the dollar. And we've seen it degrade over time. And so, you know, the argument is obviously you want to have the money less uh, centralized and certainly not dependent on one um, entity that's, you know, aligned with government in, in terms of their goals. So since that, there's so much interest in that, One of the things that countries around the world, and I think particularly the advanced countries have been doing, is thinking about how to bring about their own digital currency. But they're not doing it, obviously, in the spirit of centralization. They're worried they're going to lose control over the money supply. If people migrate to other things, Bitcoin or, or whatnot, then you lose a huge tool. Of your ability to control people. And they certainly don't want it, to see that happen. So they're basically saying, oh no, no, no well, like we'll do we'll do a digital currency and it'll be safer, but it's entirely centralized. It's exactly it stands at, you know, it, it's a polar opposite of what a a decentralized cryptocurrency like a Bitcoin is is meant to, to stand for. And so what a central bank digital currency could do, and they have multiple levels, which I won't get into all the wonkiness here, but there's a level that they can use it to communicate within the banking system, you know, amongst, amongst financial partners, but then there's what's called the retail facing cbdc and that's you and i using that and using their digital dollar instead of the physical dollar in our wallet or a proxy for a physical dollar such as our credit cards or debit cards so just imagine that you have a dollar in your wallet right and that dollar has a microchip in it and there is a code and they know exactly what that dollar is and who it's been given to. And they know that you're holding it and you take that dollar to the store and you try to give it to the to the store clerk and they say, I'm sorry, um, we saw what you posted on Facebook, Lisa. We don't like it, so we're going to put you in a timeout for a while. Or Carol, you know, we know that you like your burgers, but you've had three this month already. They're bad for the climate. Leave her alone. They're bad for the (laughs) climate. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So please stop eating burgers, moo, moo, whatever. So that's the kind of control that they can have. And as you can see, it really marries social credit and that social agenda and, and what it is they're pushing with the control over the money supply. They would have the mechanism to track everything you do. I mean, yes, they can generally look at, you know, credit card statements, I guess, if they were to like subpoena them or something, or maybe maybe there's a way for them to to do that. But like they can't track every little thing that you do and everybody you tip out and whatnot. This would literally let them track every move you make and potentially Give them the power to shut that off, and you say, "Oh, they can't do that. It's not constitutional." Well, have you lived through the last three years? Um, and so, you know, my concern is that even if people don't want to accept this, that they're going to again trick the financially illiterate population into making this happen. So, if you think about the stimulus uh, that that came out under Biden, we all said, "You know, this is the American Rescue Plan." Don't take stimulus because you'll get like a thousand bucks or whatever it was, but you're going to have massive inflation and it's going to cost you thousands of dollars. And everyone's like, I want my Biden bucks. Give me my thousand dollars, whatever. And then what happened? You're now paying thousands and thousands and thousands more dollars every single year because of inflation. It's the same thing here. They may say, Lisa. Lisa. I've got a deal for you. I'm going to trade you your one actual dollar. I'm going to give you four digital dollars. And you might go, that's amazing. I'm going to do that. But you know what? Each one of those are going to be worth a quarter of what the actual dollar is worth because you dollars are a proxy for productivity and you can't just make them out of, up out of nowhere and then assume that everything's going to have the same value. There's a, a math equation here. There's logic and reason, and it all goes together, which is why when they've been printing this money out of nowhere, first it inflated assets, which the elites love because that helped them out and didn't help the, the average American out, and then ultimately ended up crushing the Americans when it, it hit the spending piece of, of the, uh, the equation. So that's what we're fighting against. It is the number one affront on personal freedoms and wealth creation opportunities. It will affect your ability to earn, it will affect your ability to spend, to get services. Think about things like medical services, I'm sorry, Lisa, you know, you can't do this if you don't get the jab and we can't turn on your, your dollars. I mean, the, just the, the amount of control is staggering. Not only that, it just from a systemic standpoint, it's extremely risky because when you have a decentralized financial system, if there's a cyber attack, cause this is all digital, right? There's a cyber attack on one or two institutions. Like it could be a big headache if it's a big institution but it doesn't bring down the whole system because there are other places that haven't been attacked. If everything is controlled by the Fed, by the central bank, there is just one point of redundancy and if a hacker were to bring that down, which they would have every incentive to do, that means the entire US economy just, you know, comes to a grinding halt. It could be too big to fail on a, you know, a level that's like 10 times as big.
3: Let's take a quick commercial break more with Carol Roth. So I think what uh, worries me, well, I know Governor DeSantis has said that we're going to reject central bank digital currency here in Florida, and you know he's warning people about it and wants to take steps to try to you know keep it out of here. But uh, I used to hear people say things, and I'm like, oh no, it's a conspiracy theory. Now, like, you could tell me that after COVID, you could tell me that, oh, like Nancy Pelosi's a lizard person. I'd be like, yeah, maybe, you know, know. <laughs> because like, <laughs> okay. but, but but you but, but, yeah, like let me, oh, let know, me see maybe, the research. You know. It's it's possible right? I I mean, she does kind of have certain tendencies. But you you had talked about, you know, the digital currency and the government's ability to track us. I mean, it it really does seem like that's the push on everything, right? Because even during COVID with the vaccine passports, you look at China, the way that they use them, literally not allowing people to leave their homes, right? Disallowing them to leave their homes, depending on, and also falsely saying people had COVID when they didn't to keep them in their homes. But, but, Even beyond that, you know, you just mentioned the the tracking with the central bank digital currency, but even on electric vehicles as well, because if you look at what the Chinese government does, they actually track their citizens through electric vehicles. And so one of my concerns for that, especially as we see Joe Biden, you know, essentially uh, make it, you know, trying to doing his best to make it impossible to own gas powered cars or stoves, apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Through, you know, his restrictions and rules uh, out of different agencies, I mean, is that the play here with electric vehicles? Is it because they're easier to track or or why do you think they so desperately want and forcibly are trying to push us in that direction?
4: I do think that it's related to the new financial world order and trying to jockey for position to control resources. So one thing is obviously there are certain countries around the world that are very heavily dependent on oil. Um, You know, think about the big oil producing nations. And even though the U.S. has the capability to be the the biggest producer of oil, um, you know, it may be, hey, well, if we do this other thing, then, you know, we can kind of cut into their profits. And oh, by the way, think about which states benefit in the United States from oil and gas in terms of, you know, their own, um, revenue creation. It's not a lot of the blue states, right? It's a lot of the red states. So here's a new scheme, a new way, um, you know, through this climate cult, this this such dangerous emergency. It's so dangerous, Lisa, that they're going to drive their private jets and build mansions on the waterfront because they're so afraid. Um, but I, I do think that it's about, it's a, it's a monetary push behind it. I mean, the amount of money that they can make from investing in these things and giving out favors and the whole consultant and professional class that has grown up around it. I do think it is completely based on power and greed. And then I think the the fact that that's a trackable thing is, is fantastic, but they have so many technologies and so many things they're doing that could track us that I think that you know, whether or not you buy an electric vehicle, they could create the rules and regulations to still be able to track you. The concerning part, is I think they're actually trying to get rid of vehicles. Like, I don't even think it's about electrical vehicles. I think it's, you know, they're coming up with these 15-minute cities and, you know, maybe these these you know autonomous fleets and things. And, oh, you don't really, again, you don't need to own your car. You'd be so much happier. Think about how much time it just sits idle in your driveway. We'll just leave to the side that it's, you know, a, you know it, it enables you to have freedom. That's okay, but think you don't have to make that payment. And then, you know, we can just help you out. (laughs) And then you need to go to, you know, your, your big meeting and get in your hail your autonomous vehicle. And they say, I'm sorry, Carol, you said something bad on Twitter. So you're not going to be able to leave your house today. (laughs) I would, I would be guilty. (laughs) We would never, we'll, we'll happen, never leave we'd, the house. We'd
3: we'll be careful. We'd never Celebrity be let out. <laughs> is, which,
4: by the way, was actually my dream, but as long as it's of my own volition. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll be a recluse on my own. Terms,
4: exactly. You know? Right. <laughs> you, it's okay to be it as, as long as you're the one, you have the agency to make that decision.
3: Yeah. Let me be an introvert on my own, you right. know? Don't, not, not,
4: by not forced. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, obviously, you did a ton of research on this book. Uh, what kind of like scared the hell out of you the most?
4: I mean, the whole thing when you put it all together is frightening and I have more than 600 sources in the book and a lot of them are like mainstream media sources. So CBDC, I think, is the biggest affront um, to our, our wealth and our freedoms because it, it is just so irreversible once it starts. There are some other things that you know, maybe have a little maneuverability, um, but you go back to the, you know, is this a conspiracy theory? Well, the New York Fed did a pilot with major financial companies, about a dozen of them. Um, I think it was sometime last year, maybe my my months are all messed up. So I think it was maybe like somewhere between July and November of last year, the G7 countries came out with joint principles for retail facing CBDCs, we just saw a video go viral about this you know, last week with Christine Lagarde um, of the IMF talking about, you know, this digital euro and the control that that's going to happen. She thought she was talking to Zelensky on the phone and she was talking to somebody else. And she kind of let this stuff all out in the open. So, again, these are things where they're doing things and it's out in the public. So, like, why would you have principles for a retail facing cbdc if you're like oh it's not anything we would ever consider so i you know it's everything that i've researched these are not just like possibilities they're things that are actually happening and you know kind of across the table you know corporations competing with individuals for their homes and esg i mean all of these things there's, there's so much of a push and there's so much real data behind it, and I think that's probably the most important thing that I've done in this book. Is I think people know me as somebody with a lot of credibility and a lot of common sense. Um, you know, I, I have a, a very good pedigree and you know a good track record of being pretty common sensible. I source things. Um, you know, it, it makes yeah, it make it makes sense. The problem is a lot of the people who've been talking about this stuff are nuts. And so, you know, (laughs) so even though some, the the nutty people can talk about things that are true, the credibility factor isn't high. So I think this is, and this is, this was a hard thing when I was trying to find people to endorse my book and I got great people. I've got Glenn Beck, I've got Dana Lash, I've got Michael Schellenberger, Charles Payne, but it was hard. There were a lot of people that like my publisher and I were like, yeah, we just This person's kind of off the rails when, you know, they talk about these things. So we, you know, even though we like them as people and they say other good things, like we just kind of can't (laughs) include them. Um, So that's I think the the legitimacy here of like, let's just take this from a a pure data and common sense standpoint. And then we're going to empower you with the knowledge so that you understand it and you can tell other people about it in a way where it doesn't sound, you know, bad bleep crazy. Um, And then also a plan to fight back because, you know, it's one thing to make everybody aware of this. And then they go, well, what can I do? Like you need to have a way to be able to make sure that you own everything and do everything you can from a behavioral standpoint and a financial standpoint to preserve the American dream. Because one of the things I, I learned, and as you mentioned, I'm a recovering investment banker. I've spent my career trying to help people uh, make money and preserve the American dream that I am living proof of, um, the American dream is what? It's owning. It's owning a house, right? That's what the American dream is coming here and, and having that ownership because ownership is what creates wealth. You have tangible assets or in some cases intangible assets and they increase in value over time. And that's different from just earning. The the things that when you have an asset, it can grow exponentially. So if you work and you earn, that's what you get. But then you have to put your money to work for you. And that's what creates that wealth and that comfort and that dream. And, you know, if you have a family, that that legacy for your family and we have to preserve that. That's so unique. You know, it used
3: to be. in. How history. do we do that? Because, you know, we scared the hell out of people now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's, you, you, give, a, give, give us some hope here. You know, what, 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 you know, I know you're talking about owning things, but, you know, tell us what are like some easier steps that people could take regardless of age. I know you mentioned millennials, my age bracket, we're, we're kind of screwed compared to our, or, you know, our uh, parents. But, you know, even our parents who are, who are trying to retire, what can we all do? to to try to combat all this nonsense.
4: So it obviously depends on your financial situation, but if you are a millennial, you're probably carrying some outsized, insane amount of debt based on where you went to college, assuming you went to college, because obviously the government and uh, the universities have been in cahoots to extract wealth. I mean, just think about how evil this is. They've enriched the universities at the expense of young people. And they have not only not given you degrees that allow you to go out and you know get a return on that investment that you made, but they have delayed your ability to, to create wealth and in some cases just completely obliterated it. So, you know, you're not gonna like to hear this, but we gotta get real here. So you're gonna do what I did and you're gonna go into complete austerity. You know, when I graduated from college a long time before you did. Um, I had $40,000 in college debt, but I knew that based on the job that I got, because remember I I'm a recovering investment banker. So I had a a really nice career that if I took undertook extreme austerity, that I would be able to get that paid off. And I paid it off in a year and a half. And the way I did it is I lived in like a hole (laughs) in the wall and next to me was a cardboard box with a sheet over it as my bedside table and so on and so forth. So, go into like an extreme austerity measure, get that debt paid off. Because even if it's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, like I guarantee you, if you gave me what you spent your money on, I could find a way for you to do it. You, again, you're not going to like it. But here's the thing do you want to spend two or three years not, you know, w- not worrying about it and then not having to worry about money for the rest of your life? Or do you want to just worry about money for the rest of your life? So, if you do that, Then all of a sudden, okay, now I don't have this debt that's draining me to worry about anymore. Uh, Then I'm gonna take that money. I'm gonna revamp my spending. So maybe, you know, I I wanna enjoy my life, but it's not gonna be so extravagant. And I'm going to continue to invest, and I'm gonna invest in things that are hard assets where I can, things in a form factor I can control, things that have the ability to grow. If you work for a company that has a 401k, like you are going to want to take the match if they offer one, because that means every dollar you put in, they are matching it. So on a a net-net basis, tax deferred, right? It's like 50% of the buy-in from you, You're you're, you're getting double the money. So things like that, um, taking like a small amount, maybe 5% and and investing in physical precious metals, going in and finding a way to buy a house. And again, it may not be in the city or the neighborhood that you are hoping, but like start, Get, get in somewhere and build up equity instead of just throwing that rent out the window. But it has to be somewhere that you can afford because if you end up having to give that up, it then you've just wasted the money. It's just no different than renting. Um, so you, you want to take those behaviors and really start accumulating things. And again, I know like with millennials and Gen Z, you like everything digital, but think about the things that you're buying and like, is there like, am I buying the hard copy book or am I buying the, the Kindle? Like get yourself in the habit of, of getting things and owning things and realizing the value of owning tangible things. Um, and then there are a number of behavioral changes that, you know, you can make. Um, one of the things that, again, Jesse Kelly talks about is, you know, this really kind of coming together in your community and living with like-minded people who will support each other and have similar values and you know, not do crazy things <laughs> in terms of the laws and getting involved. And again, there's a litany of things to push back against. So you're not personally going to be able to push back against all of them yourself, but maybe you can divide and conquer, and and somebody's in charge of you know, the education piece, and not making sh- and making sure that you have ownership over your children. And again, I hate to use that phrase ownership over another human being, but we all know that the schools are trying to own that relationship. And if you re- read 1984, you know that's exactly what they did with the kids. The kids became spies and told told on their parents. Um, so you know, it's all these different behavioral changes, even on the tech front. Like we've got to really push for a digital bill of rights because they are becoming de facto governments, and they are, as we know from the Twitter files, working in concert with big tech um or excuse me, with government to you know limit your freedoms. So pushings for us to have more rights and more ownership. You know, if we're creating content, like we should own that content. They should not be able to license that to somebody else and not pay you like that's insanity. And that's the agreement that you've signed with every social media company that you've signed up for. So again, there's, there's a a huge litany of learning of things both behavioral and financial, but it is possible. You know, even we can't stop the new financial world order from happening, right? But we can do things on a personal basis to make sure that we and the people around us are in the best position possible.
3: Carol, before we go, is Nancy Pelosi a lizard person?
4: <laughs> um, through I did extensive research in my book, and while she is not a lizard person. To my knowledge, um, I I don't have anything that's said that she is a really good her and her husband, they're really good um, investors. And they actually have made a ton of money based on the fact that they make decisions and then they get to invest in the companies based on the decisions that they've made, which for the rest of us would be called insider trading, but for her is called capitalism, I guess. And um, there's, a, there's actually stock trackers. There's unusualwhales.com and some other places that actually track the trading of people in Congress with the Pelosi's being at the top of the list. So maybe one way for you to own everything is to just keep an eye on, on Mr. and Mrs. Pelosi.
3: Follow their leads. Not, <laughs> don't, don't follow Jim Cramer on CNBC. Follow right. Nancy Do the
4: opposite. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Who would, who would have thought, right? <laughs> Carol Roth,
3: you're the best. Uh, you Will Owe Nothing is out on July 18th. It's already crushing it. You can get it on pre-order, already an Amazon bestseller. I'm so proud of you and happy for you. Thanks so much for for taking the time and just happy for your success.
4: Thank you, thank you, and uh, Lisa and everyone listening. Make sure you go out and own everything.
3: Yes, yes, yes. Let's own everything, we'll, <laughs> and then you'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll own everything just to spite them. So <laughs> exactly, can't lick them, join them. <laughs> exactly. Take care, Carol. Thank you. Thank you. That was Carol Roth. Always love having her on the show. She's so smart, but also just funny and, and enjoyable to to talk to. So appreciate her making the time. Everyone go out and get her book. You will owe nothing. It's out on July 18th. I want to thank you for listening to the show every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. Uh, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. I want to thank John Casio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time.
2: Calm.